Hi, you're listening to Sensationalist Science, a podcast about science, the media, and the truth behind those astonishing headlines you've read. I'm your host, GetMK, aka The Health Nerd, and for this episode, I'm processing some interesting facts about food. This week, anyone munching on a chicken nugget has probably been fearing for their life after two studies were released that seemed to tell a tale of woe for anyone eating processed food. If you believe the headlines, what's driving us all to our graves is a faintly steaming package of freshly fried chips. Fortunately for those of us who like to indulge in the occasional sneaky biscuit, the truth is a bit more complicated than that. The headlines, as ever, were somewhat underwhelming. The Independent led the fray with, Eating ultra-processed food every day could increase risk of early death by 60%! All in caps, which is always lovely. With uh, CNBC coming out with the slightly less misleading, Chocolate chips and hamburgers among ultra-processed foods linked to early death. And my personal favourite from USA Today, Too much junk food may lead to early death and heart disease, studies say. I mean, really, did we need to be told that too much junk food was bad for us? Surely too much of something, especially food with junk in its name, is by definition not a great thing to have. All of these headlines were talking about two big studies that came out this week, both published in the British Medical Journal. The studies were extremely similar in many ways, although they did look at slightly different things. They were both observational studies looking at people's consumption of processed and ultra-processed foods, and eventual health outcomes. Basically, what this means is that they took a group of people, divided them up based on how much ultra-processed food they were eating at the start of the study, and then looked at who had better health outcomes at the end. One study was done in France and found that people who eat more ultra-processed foods were more likely to get heart disease. The other study was done in Spain and found a similar association between ultra-processed foods and all-cause mortality, which is uh, dying for any reason, usually using linked death records. So you're not always sure why people died, you just know that they did. Now these were in many ways pretty excellent pieces of research. They both included large numbers of people. The French study had 100,000, the Spanish one 20,000, and were able to control for a wide range of confounders. What this means is that they demonstrated quite convincingly that there is an association between ultra-processed food intake, how much of these foods you eat, and your long-term health. But before you run screaming from your donuts, there are a few major caveats worth considering. So, we have two big studies that seem to show some very scary results. What are some problems that they might have? The first thing I always do with studies like this is work out the absolute risk difference that they found. What this means is the absolute difference in risk between one outcome and the other, or between one group and the other. So absolute risk is when you subtract the risk of one thing happening from another thing happening, and it's usually quite small compared to relative risk, which is when you look at the ratio between two risks. And you almost never see absolute risk 
reported in most media sources because generally speaking when the event is rare like things like heart disease and death relatively rare of course uh, absolute risk is much smaller than relative risk so it's always worth knowing what the absolute risk difference is if you look at the French study, there was an absolute risk difference between the highest and lowest consumers of ultra-processed foods of about 1% in terms of heart disease of any kind. In the Spanish study, there was only a 0.01% increase in absolute risk between the higher and lower consumers of these foods in terms of death from any cause. So what does this mean? Say you took a group of 10,000 people who were in the lowest risk category for these studies, eating about 5% or fewer of their calories in ultra-processed form. In this group, about 70 would get heart disease and 2 would die over the course of 5 years. Now if these people, all 10,000 of them, then increased their consumption of ultra-processed foods from 5% to about 20% of their diet, and kept it that way for the entire five years, an extra 100 of them would have heart disease and one more person would die, going from 70 in 10,000 to 170 in 10,000 for heart disease and 2 in 10,000 to 3 in 10,000 in terms of death. And that sounds a bit less scary than increased risk of 62%, doesn't it? The next thing to think about when we look at these studies is controls for confounding. Both of these were observational studies, which means that it's impossible to control for every factor that might be causing the eventual outcome. As I've said before, this is called residual confounding. It might be the ultra-processed food causing the heart disease and death, but we have very good evidence that lots of other things can cause these health issues, like age, socioeconomic status, ethnicity, and even neighborhood green space. It's very hard to disentangle relationships like what you eat from the complex kaleidoscope of everyday life. We can only control for things that we know about and can measure, but there are potentially infinite things that may be impacting the results of a trial like this. Case in point, there wasn't very good control for socioeconomic status in either of these studies. They controlled for education, so people who'd never been to school, who'd been only to primary school, high school, university, PhD, etc. But we know that education is, at best, a less than ideal proxy for socioeconomic status. And what this means is that socioeconomic status, which is basically how advantaged or disadvantaged you are in society, and usually to a certain extent that's to do with how much income you have, so how poor you are, um, you can estimate socioeconomic status with education because rich people tend to get more education and poor people tend to drop out of school much earlier or never go to university. The problem is that they are not perfectly linked. So Poor people, a lot of them will be very educated, and rich people may not be educated at all. So you use uh, education as a proxy for socioeconomic status, so as a stand-in, because you can measure education very easily. It's quite hard to measure socioeconomic status, but it doesn't do that perfectly, and there is quite a bit of research. So several studies have found that using only education as a proxy for socioeconomic status can result in significantly biased estimates of effects. 
in this case, potentially overestimating the impact that ultra-processed foods had. And basically, that, that would make the study wrong. Potentially. We don't know if that's the case, but it could have happened. It's almost impossible to know whether the relationships here are causal, whether these foods caused people to get heart disease and die, or whether it's mostly to do with the social environment that these people were living in and how that might have impacted their lives. The funny thing is that if you actually read both studies, you'll notice that they are very careful to say this. They both say that these are associations and you can't necessarily draw a causal connection between ultra-processed food and poor health. Which is good because there's another major issue with this whole thing. What even are ultra-processed foods? The studies defined ultra-processed foods using the NOVA criteria, which is a tiered system that goes from unprocessed or minimally processed to ultra-processed foods. Now, this system is obviously fairly subjective, because unless you are literally eating grapes off the vine, your food has been through some sort of processing. Most fresh fruit and veg, for example, is handled, washed, packaged and shipped, all of which is technically processing. The NOVA scale attempts to break this down into categories that could be applied to health. For example, an unprocessed food might be milk, fresh from the cow, although pasteurized of course. A minimally processed food might be plain, unsweetened and unflavored yogurt. And a processed or ultra-processed food might be fruit yogurt tubes that taste like sugary heaven. The idea is that you can divide foods up by how much they have been altered from their natural state with artificial means like preservatives, flavorings, additives, cooking processes, etc. It's actually quite easy to see the massive flaws in this system. Processing is mostly in the eye of the beholder and may not have much at all to do with good health. Freshly squeezed fruit juice, for example, has recently been linked with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease but is still considered unprocessed, while artificially sweetened beverages, which may not have the same negative health impacts, are ultra-processed and therefore bad. Gourmet bread is considered minimally processed for whatever reason, while supermarket-brought, even if the nutrient content is largely similar, may be processed or ultra-processed. The entire idea that processing is necessarily bad is, to an extent, culturally driven, and based on the fallacy that natural foods are healthier for us always. Ultra-processed foods have been described as anything with more than five ingredients in it. As one Twitter commenter put it, that would rule out pretty much everything that his grandmother could cook. It would also probably include most Indian or even Asian cuisine, because those foods tend to have lots of ingredients. So the results of these studies show that when you look at people who eat a lot of foods high in salt, sugar, fat and the like, you see that they are a bit less healthy than people who don't. In other words, these studies basically confirm what we've been finding for decades, that eating fresh, home-cooked foods is probably healthier than pre-packaged and deep-fried deliciousness. What does all this mean to the individual? Honestly, not that much. If 25% of your diet is made up of fast food, you might want to eat a bit less of it. If you almost never eat biscuits or cookies, you will probably be better off if you don't start now. But realistically, everyone already knows that. The main advice from this research is that you should try and steer clear of unhealthy food, which seems like something most people already know.
Even if you increase your consumption of these foods by quite a bit, the risks shown in these studies is actually quite small at an individual level. At, a, at the government or population level, I mean, this might be pretty important. It's possible that legislating against foods that are considered ultra-processed, based on these results, might improve the health of the population. But it's also not certain that this is true because of social factors and also just how problematic the idea of ultra-processed foods really is. If you eat the occasional cookie, don't worry too much about this research. If you eat five packets of them a day, you might want to cut back. That's about all this research can say, and in all honesty, if you're worried about what you eat, you should see a medical professional, not read media articles, or listen to people on the internet. The best, the only medical advice you should accept, including from this podcast, which is not medical advice, is from a registered health professional, like a dietitian or a doctor. If you see silly headlines like this, it's always worth being cautious. Check the story, check the study, and have a think about what it might all actually mean. This has been your dose of sensationalist science and media madness. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can find it on SoundCloud at SensiPod or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, GitMK, and you can find me on Twitter at GitMK or Medium at GitMK or Facebook at GitMK Health Nerd. Have a great week, and remember, if it sounds unlikely, it's good to be skeptical. Mm-hmm.